is issued by the observatory. Temperature right now is 30 degrees Celsius. Relative humidity is 76%. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about a decline in the numbers of preschool students and the difficulties being faced by many kindergartens. A questionnaire conducted by the Hong Kong Federation of Education Workers suggests that nearly 84% of surveyed kindergartens are bracing for a reduction in K-1 students in the coming year, something that it mainly attributes to the falling birth rate. Meanwhile, 90% said they were facing financial difficulties, with more than three quarters admitting that they'd had to lay off staff. Some have also not ruled out the prospect of filing for bankruptcy. What's happening to our kindergartens? Uh, Does Hong Kong's early childhood education model need a revamp? And after 9.45, we'll learn more about the launch of China's new C-919 airliner. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Joining us now on the line, we have uh, Dr. Amelia Lee, who's Associate Dean for Programme Development and Head of Early Childhood Education at the School of Continuing Education at the Baptist University. Um, With us in the studio, Philip Wong, an Early Childhood Education Consultant, and also uh, on the line, Mervyn Cheung, Chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organisation. Thanks to the three of you for joining us. Perhaps um, Amelia Lee, we can come to you first. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, Jim uh, and uh, Ada. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Uh, what do you make of this study? Uh, according to my recent dialogue with the principals, I think uh, this survey actually reflects the uh, situation now the schools are facing. So uh, there is a decline on the K1 number, and uh, also uh, this is primarily due to the uh, decline of birth rate and the immigration issue. So uh, because of the uh, dropout, because uh, the EDB will subsidize the school according to the headcount, so they are facing financial difficulties. This is the situation I also uh, discussed about it with the, most of the principals in Hong Kong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, um, yeah. The subsidy uh, is related to the headcount. Uh, is is that the right way to do it? I mean, should should that be sort of uh, amended uh, somehow to, you know, um, ease the problems that uh, kindergartens are facing? Uh, I think uh, it is hard to jump to the conclusion whether the subsidy should be increased or not. I think there are some um, structural uh, issue that uh, EDP has to deal with because uh, that is the rental. Kindergarten has to pay rent. Uh, this is different from primary and secondary school. Mm. So in this situation, uh, maybe I'm thinking uh, there is also a decline uh, in the student population at the primary school. Is it a good uh, opportunity for the uh, government to reconsider whether some kindergarten need to be housed in the uh, primary school premises. 
so they can save a part of the uh, rental uh, payment. So I think uh, we need a holistic approach rather than jump to conclusion whether we have to increase. Of course, the immediate uh, 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 immediate support to the school is to increase, then address some long-term issue. Yeah. Right, Amelia. I wonder yeah. uh, where these um, schools are. Uh, for example, um, you know, in the northern district, uh, we have got lots of children, and perhaps the kindergartens there are doing quite well. So, so yeah. where, where do you think these um, problematic uh, kindergartens are? Uh, I think uh, some uh, location because of the aging population, uh, like Hong Kong Island, those people, um, uh, population dropped and then uh, the birth rate dropped. So uh, they are, have difficulties including, uh, in recruiting uh, uh, new uh, young children. So I think also in another issue from the historical background, uh, kindergarten was not funded by uh, government. So uh, they set up their parameters and run into operation primary uh, on a private, uh, uh, private uh, according to the private sector. So they have to rent uh, a premises for one in the kindergarten, even those uh, kindergarten housed in a housing estate or public uh, estate, they have to pay rent. And the subsidy is counted according to the headcount, the number of, uh, of uh, uh, students as well. So uh, unlike those in a, a subsidized primary school, they are, they are allowed to free to use the building and the building cost is even paid by the government. So it is um, a very uh, structural, uh, 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 structural issue that we have to uh, address the difficulties most of the kindergarten are now facing. Okay. Okay. Uh, we'll come to our other guests in just a moment. Yeah. Uh, a quick uh, announcement from the transport department. Uh, uh, owing to a fallen tree, uh, all lanes of Taihang Road in both directions near Wang Fong Terrace are closed to all traffic uh, at the moment. Um, Philip Wong, good morning to you. Morning. Morning, Jim. So, so um, a f falling birth rate. Um, a lot of people have left uh, Hong Kong, as we know, uh, in the past couple of years. Uh, are there any other reasons you can think of as to why um, enrolment for kindergartens is uh, you know, um, facing these difficulties? Well, I think one of the things that we're kind of forgetting is that we're actually right now at the tail end of the pandemic. So I think, you know, initially during the first couple of years uh, of COVID, you know, would-be parents would be thinking, you know, is this the best time to actually have a child? That's probably one of the other reasons as well. Although I do think the main reason is mainly because of people leaving immigration, uh, leaving Hong Kong and immigrating elsewhere. But on the other side, you also have like um, people not coming in to Hong Kong due to our stringent me measures um, of uh, inbound traveling. Um, the second thing that you mentioned as well, low birth weight rate. I mean, it's always been a problem in Hong Kong. You know, uh, Hong Kong has one of the lowest birth rates in the world. Um, added, added to the fact that uh, COVID has actually, <laughs> actually, you know, stopped people from thinking about having children. That has been an issue. So hopefully, you know, now that, um, you know, the economy is recovering, um, you know, we're kind of going back to normalcy, as we, as we say it. Hopefully people start thinking about having children again. So, Philip, you, you think this is a long-term pro uh, long problem or short-term? Because if people want to have children again, um, then in the next couple of years we'll see a rise in the number of kindergarten students. 
But you know, on the contrary, uh, you know, the the worst time we had during COVID was like in 2021 and 2022, mm-hmm. and last year, you know, our birth rate was only 37,000, which is very very low. So so this will last for a couple of years. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's hard to say whether it's going to bounce back or not. I think at this moment in time, a lot of people are still considering whether Hong Kong, you know, it is the place to be for them. Um, and so a lot of parents or would-be parents would be, would be thinking, you know, should I stay here, stay here or not? Um, we're going to have to wait and see. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it's going to be a continual problem for the next few years, like I said. Uh, long term, I'm not sure. Okay, but from your perspective of a consultant, um, even if we have like, um, you know, people who, who come into Hong Kong who want to stay here for the talent scheme, you know, we have a lot of talent development programs, there might be a mismatch in the sense that, um, you know, these kindergartens, which are really barely surviving, are really not in the uh, sort of middle class areas, or I'm not sure where they are actually. Um, such that um, you know, if if they if they really want their kid to go to like an international kindergarten, those places are still in quite demand, big demand. Do you yeah, see it that? is. It is. I, I do see that. I mean, like in Hong Kong, we do have a lot of um, aside from public kin- kindergartens, we have a lot of private and international kindergartens that provide a wide variety of uh, different you know curriculum. You know, a lot of international curric- uh, kindergartens they they follow either the EYFS or the IB, PYP, the primary year program, or the Common Core in the US. There are lots of, lots, lots of uh, different ideologies um, for them to choose. Um, so, you know, for those, you know, people coming in, I don't think uh, there'll be an issue. There'll be a lot of choices for them to make and a lot of different philosophies of different schools. You know, we're also talking about things like, you know, Reggio Emilia or like the Waldorf, mm. Montessori, Dalton, you know, things like that, a lot of options. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay, um, Mervyn Chung, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. So given the current situation with uh, um, 90%, more than 90% of kindergartens saying they're facing financial difficulties, would you expect that uh, you know, we could uh, see like a new wave of closures in the coming year? Uh, well, it, it, it's rather likely, unfortunately, mm. because uh, as Ada uh, just mentioned, last year we, we had the lowest birth rate uh, coming up to only 30 Thirty-seven thousand uh, babies uh, born on, uh, last year, and so uh, the, the, uh, the issue now boils down to whether whether or not to keep the kindergarten amid uh, this uh, low birth, birth rate and also the um, the emigration wave. And um, now, uh, now that ninety uh, percent, oh, in fact, over ninety percent of the uh, of the KGs are reported to be facing financial difficulties. So one solution that's been raised is to uh, beef up um, subsidies for, for ki- uh, kindergarten. Now, um, uh, one uh, education body suggests that um, the, um, the teacher-student ratios can be um, improved to, uh, from 1 to 11 uh, to 1 to 8. Um, simple calculation shows that this would mean an an increase of uh, funding by around uh, 27%. But um, if we continue to have uh, fewer and fewer uh, K-1 pupils, uh, would this be an everlasting solution? Because after all, if we don't have uh, enough students to build, uh, to build the classes, 
no matter how much money you, you uh, how much more money you put in, still there is a problem of under enrollment with hits, um, curriculum teaching and also uh, uh, social interactive uh, activities in in, in, in in the premises. So uh, I think um, the government should work with the um, the uh, school sponsoring bodies for kindergarten to find to find a way ahead. One solution I, I, I have in mind is uh, maybe you know, for, for the time being, uh, the government they try to keep the kindergarten uh, waiting to see if there would be an upturn in in, uh, in, in, in birth rate over the next few years. Now that the pandemic um, disaster uh, has gone uh, has gone over. Uh, uh, have last year been over, and then uh, we hope that there will be more babies uh, 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 coming up in, in, in the next few years. And um, in, in the meantime, for those uh, kindergartens that might find a lot of difficulty in surviving, maybe the same school sponsoring body operating uh, quite a number of uh, kindergartens in the same area district can consider merging them. I mean, kindergartens are eligible for uh, a certain number of grants as well, aren't they? For, um, I mean, do you think, uh, yeah, I mean, should they get more targeted financial support, do you think? Yes, uh, well, especially, uh, as uh, Amelia just said, uh, I think the, the question of rental is central, mm. Mm. central. So uh, now that uh, we, we continue to have uh, quite, quite a number of uh, vacant school premises that cater previously by by uh, primary or, uh, or secondary schools. Uh, maybe some of these vacant premises in different districts can be open for application by, by uh, kindergartens for moving in. This will help to improve the facilities, uh, more space uh, to, man- uh, to, 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 to maneuver with, and at the same time cut the rentals uh, that they have been paying. And uh, that is the central issue for deciding their survival. Um, Mervyn, do you think this is also um, an opportunity for the kindergartens to reflect on how they teach and what they teach uh, so that they can attract the parents to come to their schools? And, you know, instead of um, just um, thinking about merging, thinking about, um, you know, asking the small senior teachers to retire, all these are really like remedial measures. But, you know, from the developmental side, perhaps this is also an opportunity for the kindergartens to to improve, um, to think about innovations in teaching, and so on and so forth. What do you think? Yes, yes Ada, I, I agree with you. Uh, because, uh, in fact, uh, kindergarten, uh, the kindergarten sector is really competitive over the years. And um, so uh, what they should do um, is that uh, while finding ways to survive and, uh, try and trying to make ends meet, they, they should do so by uh, improving the curriculum, making their teaching methods and also the activities they organize for students more more attractive, more dynamic, more vibrant, you know, to gain the confidence of, of, of parents. Now, this is, uh, I think, uh, what they should do in the years ahead, whether or not uh, there will be an upturn in, 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 the, in the birth rate, because uh, eventually that would uh, enhance um, parents' confidence in their schools, and at the same time, they will also break new ground. In, in kindergarten uh, education, in terms of teaching methods, in, in terms of nurturing, l- uh, uh, say the healthy uh, relationships and, and, and life habits and academic skills of of, of the pupils. Hmm. 
Amelia Lee, do you agree with that? Kindergartens yeah, need to make themselves more attractive. Yeah, I think uh, Ada's point is correct. Uh, at this moment, we need to reflect what are the strengths of each school, what way we need to improve. Actually, um, they can uh, uh, change their operation mode because nowadays uh, most of the parents are working parents. Would it be possible for school to change uh, from full uh, half-day mode to full-time mode in order to support more parents uh, in workplace? So uh, that is one way uh, to um, actually uh, increase the subsidy because from the government perspective, uh, they need to put money, uh, but uh, without anything, it is hard to justify. So I agree that we need to um, change the student-teacher uh, ratio because uh, territory-wide in the uh, other part of the country, the teacher ratio is usually around uh, one teacher to six children. Uh, uh, for the younger one, usually one to four. So at this stage, one to 11 at the current uh, subsidy mode is quite challenging for the teachers, especially we have many uh, SEN children. So uh, in, in that sense, uh, government may uh, uh, support the, the kindergarten. On the other hand, they change their operation uh, mode in order to better feed uh, the community or the family needs. Yeah. Okay, uh, we have a caller on the line, Anna. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Jim. Yeah. A, a question for you folks. Isn't the underlying problem of financing of kindergartens in the private sector that they, the parents only have to commit to pay fees for one or at most two months ahead? So this means that any operator of a kindergarten, a private one, really struggles to make any serious long-term planning. Mm -hmm. uh, Philip, would you like to respond to that? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I've been working in a private school for a few years. You know, I'm not too well versed in the, uh, the admin side of things. But what I do know is that I think you're correct. You know, a lot of uh, families in uh, private schools, they pay a month for two months ahead. Mm -hmm. um, so they are, you know, financial wise, they are hindered by that. Uh, what we won't, what we can't forget, though, is that they do have the ventures, you know, the one time you know, <laughs> one time fee when they go in. Yeah, sure. So they, they do have that extra um, capital, you know, you know, to work on. Um, but, but I think this is also a, a problem of um, primary schools and secondary schools, in particular in semi-private ones, in the direct subsidy ones, they can only charge like school fees uh, one month ahead. So, um, but, but I think it boils down to um, the operational mode. Uh, what is, uh, you know, what, what could be done better? Now, uh, this is anecdotal, of course, but I know young friends who just got married and they have two kids in kindergarten age, but um, they are definitely not well off. Uh, they live in Yunlong, but they, they saved money so that uh, the two kids are now going to the Wardorf school there uh, because they think that the uh, teaching method uh, is more holistic and it is not uh, so much about rote learning because um, regular traditional and local kindergartens they you really have to like recognize like a thousand Chinese words already Jim I'm not sure whether you know that like in K K1 and K2 uh, this is a bit too much is it Philip yeah can I just add Ada um, that's a very good point 
Um, I think, in fact, I think the week before, one of the newspaper articles quoted that in primary school, I think it was targeted local students. I think 16% of those students have mental health issues. And so one of the things that we have to look into, you know, especially for, for EDB, is to look into the curriculum and also, the, you know, the, the student life, the student journey, whether it is indeed stressful. I'm sure we've heard of, you know, those horror stories or horror photos of students wearing backpacks the size of a mini truck. <laughs> you know, you know those, those are things yeah. that we, we definitely have to look into. Um, funny thing is, you know, you know, a lot of malls now, they have a lot of like uh, floors dedicated for learning centers and they all have these keywords, you know, global citizenship, you know, working on creativity. And I, and I thought, no, it's, it's great to see that. And then one of those <laughs> learning centers, I'm not going to name names, they, the students came out with the artwork, I think it was uh, the theme was Under the Sea, and literally all of the students had the same artwork, same design, same color, same, you know, sculpture. <laughs> and that's not really, you know, celebrating creativity. I think those are the things that we really need to look into, and we need, you know, the government and EDB to be the forefront leaders into promoting how, how you know, it should be taught. Right. I, I don't want to think too far, but, um, you know, nowadays kindergarten children, when they when they graduate uh, from university, the world will be changed um, mm. to to an extent that we probably don't know it. So, um, Dr. Emilia Lee, you know how how is the training of um, kindergarten teachers nowadays? Do they understand that the world will change, and do they have different teaching methods and more holistic learning? Uh, actually, in the kindergarten, we we never uh, allow our uh, student teacher student. To uh, to uh, have a pedagogy that rose memory, so we we introduce uh, learning through play in the classroom because uh, we try to promote four C that fit for the uh, future development. Same as what uh, Ada mentioned, I totally agree. The world will change quite drastic, uh, so we call disruption nowadays. So we just uh, teach the children how to acquire knowledge, enjoy the learning. So kindergarten is not about uh, uh, academic learning. We will, we will pay, uh, pave way, but we will learn through play. Just find uh, something uh, maybe from discovery approach. Uh, discover what are the environment, uh, what are the knowledge. Uh, uh, we emphasize so much on literacy development. So uh, language learning is the primary uh, focus on uh, early childhood education. So we read books storytelling, and then play games, same song. So that is the fundamental that uh, we provide uh, uh, 4C plus 3R, that is uh, uh, arithmetic, uh, language, and then uh, uh, numeracy. So that is the basic skills we need to uh, give to our young children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, just uh, quickly say um, thank you to our caller a little earlier, Anna. Um, if you want to join in the conversation, the number is 233 Um uh, Mervyn Chung. Um, with the kindergarten education, I mean, we're talking about uh, uh, literacy, learning arithmetic, and so on. I mean, is that isn't that perhaps uh, some parents might think that's a bit too early for small children to be. Uh, uh, picking up that kind of thing, and it should be more about learning through play. Well, I think uh, wheels are quite mixed uh, uh, in this uh, regard because um, some some parents uh, are really uh, quite ambitious in, in terms of their expectations for mm. for what the, their sons or daughters learn in in the KG. Um, because many of them regard the KG education as some kind of um, on preparation for entry to primary schools, 
especially in terms of basic um, language skills and also uh, academic skills in, say, uh, reading and, uh, and 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 counting. So um, it is. Uh, they always want. At least some of them always want their children to have a head start in uh, in in preschool education, uh, so that they can excel themselves. Um, after entering into primary schools, uh, going all the way, they have very long, long expectation going all the way up to uh, post-secondary uh, level, uh, because they regard to, uh, in this phase uh, there is increasing um, a recognition of KG uh, uh, education as some kind of fundamental in terms of the uh, process of learning uh, for, uh, for 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 a young person. So, um, but of course, I think. Um, there is another side of, of the coin. Um, if uh, pupils are frustrated during the KG days, they will lose interest in learning. Uh, so I think uh, in, in, in the kindergarten days, the most important thing is to make um, pupils um, happy by going to kindergarten. They are happy in going to kindergarten and, and to meet the people there and, and learn the things over the there. So uh, if they, they find a lot of pressure in, in doing that. I think they will do well uh, all, all through the three years in, in KG education uh, and, and then to proceed to, uh, to primary school uh, stage. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Well, thanks very much uh, for that. We're going to take a, a short break uh, at, uh, just for a news summary and a couple of announcements. Um, I think we have to say thanks and goodbye to Amelia Lee, um, Associate Dean for the Programme Development at the Head and Head of Early Childhood Education. That's at the School of Continuing Education at the Baptist University. Um, Our other guests, uh, please stay with us uh, for a little bit longer. Um, We'll be back, like I say, in a couple of minutes at the moment. uh, A quick look at the weather. It's mainly fine, very hot during the day, top temperature around 34 degrees. The outlook at persistently very hot, uh, with a few showers in the next few days. Currently, it's 30 degrees, humidity 74%, and the very hot weather warning is in effect. News summary with Andrew Shirovsky. NATO has strongly condemned attacks on its peacekeepers in northern Kosovo. At least 25 of its service personnel were wounded when they tried to intervene in clashes between police and Serb protesters. The demonstrators were angry at ethnic Albanian mayors being installed in Serb-majority areas. President Biden has said he believes a deal to increase the limit for U.S. government borrowing has a very good chance of being approved by Congress. His administration has warned that it will run out of funds unless measures to raise the debt ceiling are passed within the next week. And locally, the Buildings Department has expressed deep concern over the removal of a load-bearing wall by the owner of an apartment at Lojas Park in Chonquano. Inspectors found that a wall between the living room and the bedroom had been knocked down. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Sometimes it isn't safe to go to the shoreline. Typhoons far from shore can cause swells, which will often cause huge waves when approaching the coast. The weather and the sea may look nice and calm, but your life may already be under threat. Stay tuned to the Hong Kong Observatory's forecast and warning messages on swells. Keep away from the shore and stop all water activities. You can also visit the observatory's website, hko.gov.hk, for more information. Your grades don't define you. Everyone can carve out a niche for themselves. 
Have you thought about the Diploma of Applied Education program? The program incorporates vocational education and training and prepares students for employment and further studies. The qualification is comparable to a level two standard in five subjects in the HKDSE, including Chinese and English. The enrollment has started. Visit dae.edu.hk for details and applications. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on two double three double eight two double six and have your say. And welcome back to Backchat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And this morning we're talking about uh, the problems being faced by uh, quite a number of kindergartens with uh, falling uh, student roles uh, owing to declining birth rate, uh, um, people, families leaving Hong Kong, that kind of thing. Um, with us we have Philip Wong, who's an early childhood education consultant, and still with us on the line, Mervyn Cheung, uh, chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organisation. Um, Philip, we were talking to you the break about um, the type of uh, service that uh, many kindergartens uh, offer and um, in, in some respects it can be regarded as uh, overly uh, pressure, you know, pressurizing on young children. You know, mm. what, what's your assessment of that? You know, I think uh, just then Mervyn hit the nail on the head. You know, it shouldn't be about academics, especially in kindergarten years. It should be more about, you know, learning their uh, soft skills. Mm. You know, we're talking about things like social skills. How can they, how can children interact with uh, people of, you know, different age, you know? Um, and talk about critical thinking, you know, things like creativity, you know. It's, it's for, for me, what's important, especially in kindergarten and primary, is to know how to learn instead of what to learn. You know, develop this curiosity of learning. You know, and we we're talking about fun learning. I think a lot of parents, when they hear fun learning, they're like, oh, hold on a minute. Learning's not fun. <laughs> learning shouldn't be fun, right? You should be sitting down at the table and just like, you know, read books. Well, that's not, you know, it, it, you know, times have changed. You know, we have a lot of research on like learning in a fun and positive environment. So what does that bring? You know, I think it's important to let parents know that, you know, having, you know, a play environment, a fun environment, positive learning environment uh, in uh, kindy, you know, it brings you know children a curiosity of learning, so then they want to learn instead of just needing to learn. And when you have this want to learn, as they grow up, you know they're able to face challenges as it becomes more academic in secondary schools. And if they're taking I don't know like a DSE or A levels, things like that. And so when they face challenges, they're willing to you know persevere and you know go all the way to the end. Um, I think that's that's what's important for me. Um, it's like I said before, it's one of the things that you know we should definitely look into. Yeah, I, I I would echo that, and and I think that um, this is actually the trend of uh, preschool education. Um, I was in Finland about um, a month and a half ago, and and there, uh, you know, they call it reception class or kindergarten. They 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 actually think of play more than academics. Um, they look at how kids collaborate with each other, how they work with each other, how they can do work in small groups and their communication skills, their speaking skills, instead of really trying to recognize words. So, uh, I mean, the whole point is about, um, you know, nurturing these students uh, to be future ready. And in the future, you know, we talk about AI and ChatGPT, but when they grow up, ChatGPT is going to be obsolete, perhaps, and, and some new things will come up. So they need to be more resilient. They need to be more curious. They need to have more motivation to learn new things. But unfortunately, in Hong Kong, this is still not the case. So, um, Mervyn, you, do, do you believe that um, parents can be changed? 
I mean, um, parents also know that AI will um, will be like dominating a lot, lot of uh, jobs. And um, do they realize that, or do they not believe in that? I think many parents are still uh, rather traditional, and of course, the brain um, may not be entirely on their side. We still have to look at how our primary schools, especially the reputable ones, select their their, uh, their P1 uh, pupils. Um, unfortunately, it seems that um, we still have uh, many primary schools uh, which pay a lot of attention to how well um, uh, the, uh, the applicants do in, in, the, in the preschool stage. So that's why uh, in these days, even for K3 students applying to to be admitted to a, to a, say a, a famous primary school, they submit a folder or even a video of what they have achieved in in uh, in, 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 in the preschool stage. Now, in order to do that, they must uh, try to be involved in a lot of things, and at the same time, make themselves. Um, look uh, academically smart, knowing uh, a lot of things and skills. Now, this invariably will put a lot of pressure on on uh, on the youngsters while they're still in, in, in the KG stage. So this is something I think um, parents might well reckon with in uh, choosing kindergartens for their children and at the same time noticing what, what they're doing and how they're doing in, in, in these institutes. Mm. Sorry to uh, uh, interrupt there, just uh, another announcement, an update from the Transport Department about that uh, that fallen tree on the Taihang Road, which we heard about a little earlier. So, yeah, owing to that uh, fallen tree, both lanes, sorry, all lanes of Taihang Road in both directions between Wangfeng Terrace and Taihang Drive are still closed to all traffic. Um, yes. Um, so, um, can we expect, um, Mervyn, do, do you think... We're looking at a situation where we're going to see like more competition, even more competition between uh, the top kindergartens to attract students. Yeah, that that's the case. I, I know some children um, who are now in, even in the pre pre kindergarten stage. They already learn a lot of English, and uh, even uh, uh, they learn not not just single words but sentences. Hmm. And they conduct their, their daily conversation in English. Now, in order to achieve that, they, of course, they, uh, I think they themselves, plus the school, plus, um, plus the parents, will need to devote a lot of time and effort. Would this be something uh, really pressing to, uh, to, to the children? So this is something which I really doubt. Mm -hmm. Okay, but... Um, uh all over the world, uh, there are crises and there are challenges. Uh, here in Hong Kong, you know, we have, um, you know, a falling birth rate and we have immigration. And, um, and you know, pe people look at it as a crisis and now demanding government to um, increase the subsidy or to pay the rent uh, of kindergartens. Uh, but um, as I read, uh, nobody's talking about the quality of preschool education. Nobody really things think about you know how could we be better is it the time now to revamp um the curriculum so that we we put more emphasis on soft skills and thereby you know attracting the the parents who are more knowledgeable about um or, or they you know reflect on the future 
And um, uh, Philip, so as a consultant, do you see these parents? They're, they're these more enlightened parents, or are parents actually still very stubborn? Well, that's a tricky question. I think it's a little bit of both. I think um, majority of parents are, like Mervyn said, they're quite traditional. And I think it's also because, you know, Hong Kong is a very competitive place. And that, I think it trickles down into, you know, the kindergarten level as well. Mm. You know, Mervyn mentioned about everyone is competing for a place in those famous kindergarten schools. And that means having a huge portfolio. And if you compare it to mine, it's it's embarrassment, Mm. (laughs) you know. Uh, But these kind of things shouldn't really happen. Um, What's... What I'm happy to see, though, is recently, you know, if if you go on the MTR, I've noticed a lot of billboards uh, promoting um, parent education, and I think that's much needed. But you know what, you know, the content in terms of what to teach the parents, I think it's it's important to tell them about, um, like you mentioned, you know, it's, a, it's about the soft skills, you know, not academics, and it's about you know um, creating a, a, a positive environment. Besides at school, also outside as well, because we can't forget, I mean, schools is only three to six hours for kindergarten children. The rest of the 18 hours, they're, they're somewhere else, usually with the parents or the caregivers. So it's, it's something to look into, too. Mm. Yeah, well, and another aspect, of Philip, is um, the definition of SEN. Usually at preschool age, they should not be sort of uh, diagnosed as SEN. Uh, but in Hong Kong, you know, this is quite prevalent, uh, but not in, you know, mm. not in the other countries. I, I'm not sure how this has happened, because, for example, if a child can't read uh, very quickly, then, you know, after a few tests, then perhaps um, he's diagnosed as being um, dyslexic or, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, ADHD, mm. and then they are asked to take uh, medication. Now, I know that kids, as as early as, like, five, they take medication so that they, they are calmer, now, the, the actual effect is that they doze off and so, so that they don't run around the classroom. And that is actually not positive for, for the holistic growth of the child. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm not sure where it, how it started, but I think, you know, we touched upon it as well, you know, parents' expectations and also the competition into those, you know, famous kindergarten um, schools, which kind of forces parents to think in that mindset. Um, which is, you know, like you said, it's it's not it's not great for a child's development. Um, I don't have a solution. <laughs> I'll tell you that. But it's one thing that you know I am concerned about. It, I mean, unfortunately, solution might be to immigrate. <laughs> maybe because I maybe. know a couple, you know, a couple of kids, you know, they're doing really well now hmm. uh, outside of Hong Kong. Yeah, and like 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 you said, you know, parents are quick, especially in Hong Kong, to to think that you know the child might be an SEN simply because they cannot reach the the targets that you know we adults expect them to 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 do in Hong Kong. What's the situation with the international kindergartens? How are they coping in this environment? I would think you know I I believe they are having issues as well, same issues as local, but not as big. Simply because I think uh, first of all you know I think local um, um, parents would you know have a. I would say more parents understand the benefits of uh, a play-based environment, you know, even though I did say, you know, majority of them are still traditional. But I think more, more of those parents, you know, are starting to realize the importance of, you know, uh, learning um, uh, 
that doesn't necessarily fo follow the Hong mm. Kong curriculum. Mm. Um, so it's easier um, for the, Hong, uh, the international students to pick up those students. But I think uh, because of you know everyone leaving, you know a lot of expats are also leaving as well. Um, at the moment, I'm not sure if there are a lot of people coming in. You know they're facing the same problems, but maybe a little bit better. Mm. Well, I yeah. think they are better in the sense that um, many locals uh, would not be able to get into like ESF kindergartens, mm. but now they can. So yeah. so they can still attract. But then you know down the ladder, you know those will be suffering. Um, Mervyn, how, how do you see the international kindergartens doing in the future? Well, uh, uh, we, we know that uh, is, uh, they're, they're losing students and uh, well, most likely local, local students will be able to, uh, to gain entry in, in, into these institutes. Uh, well, I, I think uh, it was a good thing in terms of uh, the, uh, the kind of mixing between local and non-local students. Of course, this would create additional comp uh, competitive pressure for for uh, for the local kindergartens. So uh, there have been calls for the government to maintain uh, in, in very strict terms the, the ratio of uh, uh, local students that these international schools can can uh, can admit to, um, you know from 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 the local cohorts. Um, well. I think it's it's very hard to tell because basically it's uh, uh, to to many parents, especially those uh, in the uh, in, in in the middle class stratum, uh, a very attractive choice for kindergarten education for for their kids. So, well, maybe some kind of balance uh, should be struck, you know, between the, the local kindergartens and the international kindergartens. And uh, there's room for, for the education bureau to step in to achieve this. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, um, okay, uh, gosh, I forgot my question, <laughs> right. Jim. Right. right. Okay. Uh, in fact, we're about to uh, bring this part of the program to a close. Um, just, uh, uh, just before we do, um, um, Philip, did you want to add anything to that? In the short term, in, in the short yeah. term, both of you, so. as a concluding remark, uh, would you agree that the government should um, step up its subsidies and mm. um, support mm. um, to local kindergartens who are in financial difficulties? Philip, uh, first. Uh, absolutely, I think right now, if we're talking about at this point in time, you know, a lot of kindergartens are struggling, even primary schools. So it's important that you know the government, you know, find some way to support. You know their, fi their financial difficulties. Um, further down the line, you know, I think we're going to have to look into the curriculum and the student journey. But that's uh, something for us to think about in the long term. Right, Mervin. Yeah, more or less the same because um, uh, we can't rely on uh, uh, public funding uh, for you know for all the time. In, in the in the short and medium term, the government uh, should find it uh, worth uh, spending, uh, you know, uh, allocating more resources to the preschool sector so that. Uh, the kind of stability in terms of operation and, and also provision of uh, specific services to the, to the uh, children can be maintained. But then in long term, um, school sponsoring bodies together with, with the school management should consider ways of uh, improving their, their operation 
uh, be more innovative in, in, in the education and, and also uh, training for, 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 for the kids so that uh, they, they can stay, stay viable uh, in the long run. Yeah, do you think primary schools can absorb kindergartens like as a reception class so that kindergartens don't have to pay the rent in commercial premises? Uh, well, I think uh, if they continue to be charged on on uh, on, on a commercial rate, kin- many kindergartens would, might find it uh, difficult to 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 survive because um, there are limits to uh, to which um, they can uh, uh, adjust the fees upwards. So, um, so it, with this uh, limitation, um, a lot depends on their their the ability to economize on 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 their you know on on their uh, uh, financial uh, operation, and at the same time maintaining their competitiveness in in, in the market. So, um, well, uh, I think uh, the government should to try to do whatever the, uh, uh, it can to help the kindergartens. And the rentals or or, uh, or uh, feasible uh, premises located by previously uh, op- uh, operated primary and secondary schools might be a way out because uh, that will give them a proper uh, a better school environment for 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 for, for the school kids. Okay, thanks very much for that. Uh, That was Mervyn Cheung, uh, Chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organisation. And thanks also to Philip Wong, Early Childhood Education Consultant. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. Hello, audience of RTHK. I'm Paul Chen, the Financial Secretary. This year marks the 95th anniversary of RTHK. I wish RTHK every success in starting a new chapter for public service broadcasting. 95 years of public service broadcasting. 95 years. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. And for the last part of this morning's programme, we're going to be turning our attention to an entirely different topic, and that is the launch of uh, China's uh, first uh, homegrown airline, or, well, not exactly the first, but the launch of uh, its new homegrown C919 passenger jet, which uh, has just gone into passenger service. Uh, It's being um, uh, held up as a symbol of China's industrial progress and also um, a landmark in the development of the mainland aviation industry. To talk about it, we have now joining us uh, on the line uh, Stephen Cheung, who's uh, founder and chairman of the Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association and also founder and chairman of uh, a private jet operator called uh, Seaplane Hong Kong Group. Uh, Stephen Cheung, good morning to you. Jim, very good morning. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And thanks very much for joining us. Um, so, uh, I mean, it certainly looks very impressive. How significant uh, is this uh, new airliner coming on the scene? Well, it's absolutely significant milestone because the Chinese industry, uh, aviation market will be worth over $2.9 trillion. And Boeing predicted that in the next 20 years, China will need 8,000 aircraft, new passenger aircraft to service the, 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 the 1.4 billion uh, population. And, and, of course, China's building 200 uh, airports. And right now, you go to Beijing, Shanghai, or, or, or out of Hong Kong, you'll be likely to fly out on either an Airbus or a Boeing aircraft. And this is China's solution to rival 
um, um, uh, Boeing and Airbus dominant. Uh, in the aviation market. So this is a very interesting development indeed because uh, the aircraft is significantly cheaper uh, compared to uh, Airbus and Boeing. But then uh, China have a lot of groundwork to do because uh, uh, we need to build uh, uh, trust and confidence in in international market. Uh, uh, As far as uh, we know, uh, all current orders are Chinese airlines or Chinese uh, banks. Uh, who have ordered this aircraft. We have no Western airline interested in, in, in the combat, but that might change, uh, as you can see in the, in the high-speed rail uh, development in China in the last 20 years, uh, from having no high-speed rail, now becoming one of the uh, uh, longest track mile uh, in, in, in terms of uh, uh, that technology and that field. So uh, uh, I'm sure uh, there will be more orders coming in, and, and, but it's very interesting as as we seen yesterday, they, uh, they, they commenced the uh, first maiden flight from Shanghai um, to Beijing. Mm. Yeah, th- th- this aircraft is similar in size to like the Airbus uh, A320 or the Boeing 737, isn't it? So, would you expect that uh, you know in in the years ahead? You mentioned uh, 8,000 uh, uh, new aircraft. Uh, that was Boeing's estimate that the mainland would need. So, 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 will this this C19 919 will be mainly serving the domestic market? Yeah. Yes, well, at, at the moment, yes, uh, in the near future, yes. But then uh, again, we, I, I think there will be, there will interest from Ryanair and, and various low cost operator, uh, to, to, to purchase the aircraft. But I, I, I suspect that's a negotiating tactic, uh, to, with Boeing and, and, uh, getting a lower, uh, factory price for, for the 737 MAX 9. Uh, but again, the, 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 the success of the C919, I, I think it will be mainly influenced by the geopolitical factor because the aircraft is mainly uh, reliant on international parts. So even though it's a Chinese-built aircraft, a lot of the part, for example, the engine is a, uh, a, a Leap 1C uh, engine. So, so basically, essentially, it's the same engine uh, that you, you put on on a 737 MAX uh, 9. Uh, and, and of course, the con- competitive landscape, trade policy, government support. You have to remember, every time we operate an aircraft to a different uh, country, uh, it has to be approved by the Civil Aviation Authority or Department from that relevant uh, country. Yeah. You can't just randomly fly equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to be approved, and the, the, the approval procedure is, is, is very complicated. So I think for the meantime, we will see the C919 operating in China and friendly states. Uh, across the region, so for example, Singapore or, or, or Thailand, uh, those who have a, a friendly relation with China. But I think further down the line, uh, we will see a much bigger uptake. Uh, essentially, airlines are businesses. So, you know, if you can sell the plane cheaper with the same uh, high quality standard, I'm sure uh, uh, some airlines, especially the low cost carrier, will switch to the 919. Yes. And is it because of international approval that um, there has been um, quite a bit of delay? Um, the, uh, this aircraft um, uh, was under development for the last uh, 10 odd years, I understand. Yes, Ada. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and it, it takes time uh, and billions of dollars uh, to, to develop an aircraft. Uh, and, 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 and of course, you, if you want to operate into the European Union, you need to have the approval from IASA. And, and if you want to approve it to America, uh, fly to America, then you need, you need to uh, get the approval from FAA. Uh, so, so, of course, it, it's a very rigorous safety and operation standards game approval for com- commercial operation. And it has been done uh, yesterday. But again, the, uh, speaking from personal experience, 
experience, um, uh, the the Sohoi uh, Superjet 100, which is the the the, the Russian version of the uh, regional liner. The biggest problem isn't actually selling the aircraft. Once the airline operated it, so Lufthansa Group. Uh, one of the biggest European carrier operated the Superjet 100 uh, under Brussels Airlines brand. And, and majority of the time, the aircraft was stuck on the ground park because it doesn't have the uh, same MRO, so the maintenance support uh, required uh, or, or part. Uh, and, and each time when the aircraft break down, um, the, 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 um, the, the parts has been flown in uh, from Moscow to, 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 to Brussels. And, and, and it, the aircraft ended up being grounded for, for 10 odd days. So that's not acceptable in the aviation industry, especially when you're trying to run an airline. Imagine you're trying to explain to customers that your, your flight is cancelled right. because oh, it's stuck somewhere. So, 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 I mean, it's a, but with that being said, China has a very long history of, of, of operating uh, and manufacturing aircraft. And, 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 and although uh, they have a very low specimen of, of, of uh, ARJ uh, uh, um, uh, aircraft, the, the regional jet, the AR, ARJ-21, um, uh, there are 20, 32 aircraft flying. The C919 is absolutely a game changer because that provides a direct competition to the A320 and the 737, which is the most popular aircraft um, uh, flying um, in the world right now. How, how about energy efficiency? I know that airlines are now very... Um, they, they think about costs and they want to save on energy. Gas, gas. So, yeah, so, 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 so to, to start with, um, the airline like the C919, 919, because it's, it's, it's uh, um, about 20 million uh, US dollars cheaper compared to the, the, the 737 or, or, or the um, uh, A320. And the operating cost is quite similar because it's operating on the LEAP engine. Uh, and, and that's the, the, the latest technology on, on, in, in terms of aircraft provided by CFM. And that's being operated on the 737 Max nine at the moment, so so and, and of course it has a range. You, uh, uh, the, you, you can have a um, extended range which can fly for three thousand nautical miles. So it, it literally cover uh, half of Asia Pacific uh, on, on on that range, and and especially by most of China. So you know I, I don't think China is in a rush to export those market. Of course it will be a national pride if, if we're able to export it to a, 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 a airline user outside of China. But at the moment I think you know it's going to take them a lot of time to to get used to the aircraft, train up engineers, train up pilots uh, to operate this aircraft, uh, get familiar with it, and, and, and then eventually, you know, we can look at exports and things like that. And there are a more uh, similar kind of aircraft in development, aren't there? And then there's the C929, the C939 series uh, still to come in the future. What do we know about those? So, so, so the C929 uh, and 939 is, is, is essentially the, the, the 787 rival. And those are, uh, I have more, more confident in those because they're, they're, they're working in partnership with Russian uh, aircraft manufacturer. Uh, and, 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 and as we know, the Russian has, uh, j- during the Soviet Union, they had a great um, um, uh, expertise and experience in building aircraft. But um, the, the, where the Russian are weak are the technical support and, 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 and having a parts uh, maintenance network around the world so that uh, when the aircraft is grounded, you know, essentially, uh, if I fly out a, a, a free 20 tomorrow, I can get parts anywhere around the world and, and I'll, I'll be, the, you know, maximum two, three hours delay and, and uh, depending on, 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 the, on, the, on the problem, 
the engineer are able to fix it on the ground. With, with, with a brand new aircraft, essentially, you need to build those networks. You don't have those parts ready available. You don't have the engineer certified to fix those. So, so of course, it's, it's going to be a long problem. But with, with, with Russian aircraft, uh, 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 Russian and Chinese cooperation, um, uh, I think, you know, we, we, we can leverage on the Russian expertise uh, okay. to, to, to help the Chinese build a better plane. Excellent. Thanks very much. Uh, very interesting to talk to you. Hope we'll get a chance to speak to you again uh, in the near future. That was uh, Stephen Chung, founder and chairman of the Hong Kong Professional Airline Pilots Association. Uh, thanks to our listeners. Thanks very much to you, Ada. Thank you, Jim. Stay with us. Uh, coming up is the news summary, followed by Brunch with Noreen.